Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lalo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And we are pulling back the layers of black male humanity to look at what's true, what's authentic, what's deep. Co-creating space for black men to explore their humanity, blackness, maleness, and everything in between to fully introduce themselves. Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. Today, we have the honor of welcoming this dear brother, Steve Vassar. At a time when life, man, is so uncertain and Black men and Black people are hurting, reeling from the ongoing state violence against our people. Steve Vassar, his brother's a DJ. He's a music lover. He's a, a father and a husband, a social justice advocate. Come join us as he lets us in on his pain and how he's transitioning to the next stage of purpose. Steve talks about purpose today, and it's important that we know this in these times. Come listen, come here. Let me introduce myself. Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lalo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And uh, we are pulling back the layers of black male manatee to look at what's authentic, deep, what's true. And what a time to have these conversations with what is going on in our world. And we are welcoming Steve Vassar, a beloved brother who has been doing some great work in the world. And I've been taking notes from afar and um, appreciating you, brother, for all the work and commitment to the world. And I'll just start by asking you, Steve, we'd like to start out with the title of the show, please. So I am Steve Vassar. I am, my standard line at this point is before anything else, I'm a husband, a father, a mentor, a man of faith and action. I am also a part-time recovering, not recovering DJ who happens to get his funky and fix on every Friday for the last 18 weeks on your nearest social media channel. I am a man who has worked ever since the law would allow with and on behalf of communities I care about, specifically Black community, communities of color. And at this stage in my life and at this point in my life, find myself now becoming more of a serial entrepreneur, thinking about legacy, thinking about you know, how fast the last 20 years went and God willing, how fast the next 20 years are going to come through and go by. And so I'm in legacy space as I uh, speak to you now. The new mood, right? Legacy. Sir, that's how you started <laughs> let's, off. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's get I, it. You said keep it real, right? Let, yep. Let's, all, let's get all, all real. All right. So I have a question. And this is another core question we ask. We really want to understand how are you feeling? And not the typical just, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. No, how are you really? Because it's a turbulent mm -hmm. time, a difficult time, a complicated. So living through some duality on a regular basis, and I really want to um, lift up my wife who has to contend with what those dualities look like and how they play out. But that duality is one where I am really worried, to say the least, you know, concerned, right? Super concerned, deeply concerned about the trajectory of just the state of the world we're in and the trajectory of that world. And then on the same notion, clinging on to hope by any means necessary and digging deep into that little shred of hope that I'm clinging on to. And sometimes it's really hard. It feels like a, a shred of hope and other times it feels like a deep well and a font of hope. And so that is how I'm feeling. 
I'm living in between that balance and trying to trying to navigate that space in my own head and in and in this space inside of this uh, 48 year old edifice that the good Lord has given me to work with that sometimes like to eat too many cookies late at night and other times wants to feel like it wants to pick up some weights and other times uh, wants to DJ and, and shake it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that. Is on. Thanks for sharing. I think you got into this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to ask again, you talked about your wife, but what is it that Steve, who he, what makes you? I am the first child of immigrant parents, Haitian immigrant parents, born here in the U.S., so first first gen in the U.S. by my parents, and the history that they come with, the history of their predecessors. I'm made up of those folks. I am the sum total of, you know, hundreds if not thousands of ancestors and their years of experience balled up into this moment. I am made up of, you know, I think I love what Solange Knowles says, you know, that we are physically, it's just a little blood, a little bone, a little muscle, but deep spirit. A lot of spirit and a spirit that's uh, constantly looking forward to singing in some way, looking for its opportunity to speak and hold forth. And when I say sing, not literally, you know, with a voice, but sing in terms of living in such a way that it radiates, it glows. Uh, and so for me, all of that is who makes me up alongside a little education and a lot of opportunity to work with and for great people along the way. Yeah, well, we're going to circle back to spirit part. I like, I like that. <laughs> yes, sir. All human beings <laughs> play roles in our society, but I want to understand a little bit about your role. What roles do you play in family, in community, professionally, personally? All, all these- in terms of roles, I'm redefining what the next role is going to be. I want to pull apart the question for a second. So for me, there's the professional and the personal. I'll say in the personal life, I always start my bio or my introduction with who I am, because I think the professional and one of the challenges we have in this moment that the pandemic has revealed to us is we are not our job. People have gotten that twisted up, that I'm the manager of such and such. And as the manager of such and such, I do this, this, and this. And folks assume that And the COVID and the pandemic has just, and frankly, um, just a little bit prior to the pandemic, my job ended. And it was a job that I aspired to, a job that I threw my entire being at. And it ended. And I identified completely with that job in a lot of ways. And part of it was, it was where I wanted to be, the organization, working with people I want to work with, on issues I want to work with, at a level that I want to work at. And all of that ended. But that doesn't mean that my life ended. That doesn't mean who I am or who I brought to the work ended. It just means that professionally, that part of the journey ended. And so in terms of personal, I always start with the personal, that I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, you know, that I'm a man of faith, a part-time DJ, because I think that's what matters. I've been to a lot of funerals where people get their resume read out and it breaks my heart. Because the real question is, who was this person that moved on? Who did we lose? Who did we lose? Not what knowledge did they contain? Not how useful they were to the tax base or to the family's financial balance sheet. But what was their contribution from a spirit perspective? What did that spirit represent when it was here with us? And what have we lost of that spirit? Professionally, work, spent a career in nonprofits and in service to people, doing everything from being a camp counselor to, you know, what I consider at the height of the game, running organizations, leading organizations, working directly with young people to working with communities, to working with regions, to funding organizations, to consulting to organizations, to leading groups of organizations, to leading coalitions that 
led coalition organization at the local, regional, and national level. And I've also done a little bit of global work. I've had the opportunity. So professionally, over the past 20, I'm sorry, going on 31 years, because the law allowed me to work when I was about 17 in this work as a camp counselor, I have thrown myself at working on behalf of our communities. That's my story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate the part about the bio and the way you start the bio. And I, I think that's important because it speaks to your value and how you show up and how I experienced when I first met you is that you were immediately accessible. And so starting the bio that way makes you accessible because normally what happens is we put those bios up we hear about all the accolades and, and everybody's like, everybody's on edge. Like, who is this cat that's coming to the mic? And are they, are they real? Are they real people? And so that's great to hear. And I appreciate that. That connects to kind of who is responsible. Well, I'll go this direction. What's your relationship? Because you've done a lot of work, brother. And so I just asked this question, you know, what, what is your relationship with Black men and other people that are not Black? So it's one where uh, I'm recognizing the humanity wherever that Black, wherever Black men are, with what is their humanity? What's that soul saying? Where is that, where is that spirit? And, and engaging with that person on the spirit level, engaging with that person from who they are, where they are, as best I can. And frankly, that is hard because there are some folks who really are great at pulling their spirit far back. When I say pulling it far back, they're very protective of their spirit. Like you're not getting in. You gotta wait two, three, four, 10 conversations before you're gonna understand like who this person is, uh, who they really are, what their hopes, aspirations, dreams are, and also what has drawn them so far back into themselves. And the same thing with people who are not black, who are not African-American or who aren't, you know, it's the, the question is who is this person? And one of the things that I, that's interesting to me is uh, some of my closest friends are white men. And I probably have, you know, I have a very tight circle and this circle is maybe five people deep and three of the five, two of the five are black men, two of the five are white and one of the five is my wife, a black woman. You know, this question about sort of how do I engage with folks, I engage with this sort of smaller cipher on a soul level, on a spirit level, and that took work. It took years of us building trust, of peeling away. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yeah, go for it, of, of, of peeling away, of, of going beyond the bullshit, like to the real. Because there's plenty of it. And then there's a, there's a wider site that has many more women and men that are in there, primarily Black men and women. And in that wider site, for again, we don't have as much time built. I like what a friend of mine said, a colleague of mine said, he said, you know, we don't have as much scar tissue built up. We have worked together. We have, you know, gone through travails together. But there's certain aspects of them that I don't get and vice versa, these folks won't get. We just haven't built to that level yet. It's all it is. What it boils down to from my perspective at this stage in life is, is literally we barreled past all of the other stuff. We dispelled with all of the, the fluff, the BS, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, like it's not there and we can actually get into what we need to get into and move on. Mm. Cultivate, cultivate. Yeah. I feel like I'm just waiting for that one question that's going to have me melt <laughs> in the chair into a bowl of mush. This is like, yeah. this is, I'm just waiting for it, man. This is so dope. Thank you. I, 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 I hope so. That's what we want you to do. We want you to melt, brother. For sure. You know, that that's that's good about the cultivating relationships. And I'll, I'm going to connect that to your 
Leading Wild podcast. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Word. For people who don't know, he has it on his CD to visual see it, but leadingwild.com. And he does a interview with Leslie Robbins. And one of the things that you said was it's important to put your purpose forward and, and kind of that. And I, that was something that I kind of wanted to bring back up, spound about that, because you're talking about relationship, the relation cultivating of those toward us in our purpose. And then we, as we forward a purpose, what does that mean, put it forward? And as opposed it's amazing the timing of this question so see here we go here comes the melting this, mm-hmm. this is where the seat gets hot and you know iceberg slim becomes a slushy the it's amazing the timing question around purpose and it's been a very hard summer so back to your initial question there's been hard at times through pandemic throughout this moment of covid and being locked in as an extrovert been very hard for me to stay contained in a small one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan and be here with my thoughts because usually I think out loud with a bunch of people in that social way. And also not having the job, not being centered, having all of my purpose activate through a job. When I talk about putting purpose forward, what I think that means and what it's meant for me is getting clear or getting back to center, getting understanding why you're here and making sure that when it gets dark, And when things are looking really muddy and cloudy, that you have a touchstone. What's interesting for me is a few years ago, I talked about putting forth this book called Climb. The point around the climb was to share with people who were thinking about a career trajectory to help them figure out how to sort of climb whatever mountain they're working through. What I didn't prepare for and what's important is preparing for what happens once you reach the summit. Once you get to your goal, what do you do? And the answer to that is you're supposed to have your next goal set up and you're supposed to think a step ahead of yourself. So because the truth of the matter is if you work hard enough, you're going to hit your post. You may not hit it the way you want to hit it, but you're going to hit your post if you do the work. You're going to get everything you ask and what you have to be prepared for. We typically prepare for the loss. Folks typically prepare for the worst case scenario. That's why we can't find toilet tissue and paper towels and bread and milk is because folks are like, it's going to get, <laughs> they going to go in there and take it all. So now I got to go in there and get mine before they get in, right? But we don't prepare for the fact that actually they made so much paper so much toilet paper and so much paper towels that all you need is really a week's worth because the store is going to be open and they're going to have it next week. That actually, we don't prepare for the win is, the, is pulling out of that metaphor for a second. And what that means is what do you do after you've won? And no, you can't declare I'm going to Disney. You're going to the next goal. So what helps you there is purpose, at least in my understanding inside of that purpose what's going to guide you and drive you are your values your belief but the purpose gives you a north star that says all right not the goal but like why we're on this track why what do we act what do we hope to leave and for me at this stage it is where i started earlier it's the legacy piece it is that at 48 years old if i'm lucky i've been blessed and fortunate to this blessed and fortunate my father's still alive he's 80 this year you know i'm lucky if i have his genes i think i did a few things that were a little more detrimental to my own life than he did in his so (laughs) you know i don't know we'll see we're gonna see i didn't eat as many vegetables but i've smoked a few vegetables a few more vegetables than he did Sometimes those vegetables are, are they're good for you. All of them are <laughs> right. natural. Medicinal. Right. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> that's right. That's right. And so who's to say, right? 
What I've got to think about at this point is with a wife, two daughters, 12 nieces and nephews, family members that I don't know and children yet to come, that I've got something to prepare for them when they all show up and when I move on. And so for me, purpose is what is that? What am I preparing for them? What is that going to be that they can then pick up and run? Um, And so that's when I think about purpose forward, it all comes to this idea of tapping into the why. It all comes to... Um, making sure that when I get lost, when I get stuck, when it gets dark, what I call the shred of hope. Sometimes it's really, you know, it's clear and abundant. And other times I'm lost in the sauce and it just looks like a real sliver. And I just want to make it and hold on to that sliver of hope um, versus the challenge that I'm feeling. So it's a lot, but that's what I mean by purpose, by uh, putting purpose forward. I want to go in that same vein and understand, is this a new revelation or a transformation that you've been through to make that realization of putting purpose forward versus what I heard you say earlier was career trajectory, getting to like a role. Is that a transition that you've been through? It's a very long transition and it started with DJ. It started 20 years ago. Next year will make 20 years since I've DJed publicly. If I didn't start DJing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and wherever else, I would have gotten to 2021 and it would have been 20 years since I've been out in the public, like on a regular basis. One of the dreams for me at that point, 20, a little over 20 years ago, was the idea of simply being able to meld DJing or hip hop with young people. Because at that point, it was unacceptable. If you work with young people, you couldn't talk hip hop. Like it was anathema. People were like that stuff is nothing but death, destruction, mayhem, foolishness, and chaos um, set to a dope beat. We don't want our kids around that. And was grappling with how do I bring those two things together? And I was just coming out of a period of time where during the day I was working with young people and I had this second life where I was this raging, ridiculous DJ who was spinning like a madman anywhere there were turntables. I was willing to go in and play and spin. But I could never bring those two lives together. And so I won't go into the story of how sort of things shifted. That's a whole other workshop. What I will tell you is that over the last 20 years, trying to figure out how to keep my life in a space where that the DJ could be present, meaning hip hop could be present, but I could also be a do-gooder. And what happened over this time frame is, you know, music got more acceptable. It got more acceptable to bring hip hop into the classroom, into the after-school space, into the boardroom. It just became an accepted thing. And folks could see that hip hop was larger and more instructive than what folks considered were the destructive aspects of it. And I was ready for that argument because I'm like, there's no piece of music made that wasn't considered evil, vile, destructive, or disruptive before capitalism got to it and figured out that it's good. And hip hop is no different. Black music especially gets a double dose. So black music became acceptable in the 2000s and then the 2010s to today. Doing that journey, I realized I was looking at bios and I think it was after attending, you know, a lot of funerals, a lot, unfortunately, both for young people, but also for our elders that have moved on. When the family's grieving, they grab the first thing they can find about this person who passed on if they didn't know him or her. And that usually was the resume or a recent article that listed their accomplishments to your word earlier, Sekou. 
But too few of these things talked about the fact that this person was God-fearing, the fact that this person was the treasurer on a PTA, that they learned to ride a bicycle when they were nine, or they loved to help people, you know, how much they gave away, how giving they were, how generous they were. Folks would say that in the eulogy, but they wouldn't write it. And what lives is what's written. So I decided that when I do my bio, I'm going to flip this paradigm a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit subversive. And that's one of the things I love that hip hop taught me. You could be subversive. Who cares? They ain't going to like you. They really, they really don't. They really don't like you. They're starting from I don't like. So if they're starting from I don't like, let's just get the good stuff out of the way. Yeah, I got a master and what? Yeah, I got a bachelor. Who cares? Yes, I can string together a sentence. I can speak Black and East. I can speak the King's English. I understand Creole if I have to. Can't speak it, you know, but nice. I, I, I understand it all day. Say what you want, you know, but the whole idea is that this is who I am and I'm bringing my full self to the comp. So I'm it, flipping the bio allowed me. It took a while to get there. Flipping the bio gave me entree um, to be more of me wherever I go. And, you know, say, Koo, thank you for that, for saying that, you know, you encountered my authentic self because that's all I strive is being accessible because it's, it's what's going to matter. So I, I really, I deeply appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I'm serious. I, I appreciate, I, you know, those, those are the moments that I don't, I don't take those for granted because those are the moments change or sometimes they change us in a moment if we're in a certain place. And when you bring that kind of energy, it shifts the moment and where I was. And to your point about deep spirit, it touches the spirit. It does a shift. And I just, and I keep hearing too, Steve, this whole thread with DJ and how it functions as a bridge to the young people. It also functions as a bridge for you now that you can live fully in that music while you are in between your quote unquote work, you know, your, 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 your formal job. Right. And it also serves as a form of expression. You also talked about how, you know, the corporate world, white America, received or didn't hip hop and how that was expression war. And it, on, along the lines of expression, I wonder because I'm, I'm, I'm starting, I started to hear it simmering a little bit. So I want to, I want to go, I want to go deeper right there. But <laughs> What what are some of the things that you often say out loud that you don't say out loud end up holding? But if you could bellow it to the world. It's already been said, brother. Me today, you tomorrow. It's one of the most important records that the lost poets could have ever put forward. Me today, you tomorrow. It's this idea. I'm working through a, a writing project with a partner, with a business partner. And she introduced this idea of linked fate. Right. And that idea is that we're all that what happens to me happen to you. Uh, one of my laments. So I, I, I say this in both the biblical sense and the literal sense. One of my laments, if I could bellow it out loud, is that we're all connected, you know, that there's very little different. If a police officer can take away my human civil right on demand, what makes you think that that same power cannot be exercised on you on demand? Because we both live in the same context. And it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time that it visits. My lament in this country, in this moment, is that there is an extreme selfishness that doesn't realize how much our fates are linked, shared. And as a result, folks don't worry about it until, you know, the until the challenge visits them directly. And that's problematic. It's why we have the confusion that we have from the White House to white people, <laughs> you know, down to the block, to the white tees on the block, is because folks don't see themselves sharing a similar fate. And, and 
and don't see how connected, how closely knit we actually are. And so, you know, if I had to wrap that up, all of that up in a statement, it's already been said, me today, you tomorrow. The Jews said it. I'm forgetting who the author was, but you probably have heard the quote where he said one day they came for them and at the end of it, everyone else was gone and they came for him. And he ends it with, they came for me because he had spent so much time letting other people get taken that he didn't think he too would suffer the same fate. And so I think we're on that kind of trajectory. That's a, my prayer hope is that it doesn't take catastrophe. And I think we've averted several just in this year alone, we're in a catastrophe. We're in a rolling catastrophe right now. The reason it rolls is because people don't see that COVID can reach them. They don't realize what it means directly, you know, to have a loved one who wakes up next to not breathe is gasping for air in the bed next to you or in the house with you. And that, you know, they were walking around, they were texting going into the hospital. And that within a day, they're on a ventilator and two days later, they're dead. So for me, the enormity of what is upon us is not lost on me. And that's but one scenario. That's but one, when I say scenario, it's one issue. There are several that are rolling. Again, whether you talk about police violence, whether you talk about a 17-year-old white boy with a long gun in the streets in the middle of the night who tripped mm -hmm. after he doesn't kill one person. He trips and falls, and then he winds up shooting and maiming another, killing and maiming another. That's anywhere in America. That can happen anywhere. And so if we don't understand that, I don't see folks really understanding that's troubling. That's a troubling piece for me. I'm all the way in my bag, brothers. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, no, I Maxine love it. sat that's back. A, he was that's, like, a, that's what we're looking for. Hey, I, I'm here listening. You know, that's the other part of this podcast. We we here listening. We're listening to you. You know. Yeah, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, that yeah. that was a that was a question for the ages right there. That's mm -hmm. not one that I I just you know I'm in Midtown Manhattan and let me just contextualize that for you. We're 55th and Broadway. We are between. Times Square and Central Park. Yep. We got here just in time to watch Manhattan drain away. No tourists. First, it started with the theaters. They closed. The restaurants went away. The tourists like packed everything and left. And all that was left was a resident. And it got quiet here very quickly, like within a matter of weeks. Like it turned into a suburb. You know, we could be anywhere in the country. It just immediately turned into like an open air mall and and felt very suburban very quickly. And I share that with you because my wife and I are the chocolatiest things, as you can imagine, that live around here and don't work in a building or hold doors open or work at a restaurant. I see a lot of folk who are just worried about what happens in their immediate three foot vicinity and nothing else. Whereas I got my eye on what's happening down the block, what's happening three streets over. Did somebody just drop something or was that a shot? my radar are up in a very different way. I'm not as worried about the black homeless people because they actually acknowledge us in a different way than they do the white homeless people. They actually, like, we acknowledge each other, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not from a, you know, but for the grace of God, it's like, what's up, bruh? Like, we all in there, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Thanks for that $2 the other day. You know, I'm glad to see y'all. I'm glad to see somebody making it around. Yep. And that's mutual, <laughs> you know, which is wild. Yep. At any rate, you know, way too deep in the bag. But all I'm saying to you is that it's linked fate, shared fate. Narcissism is uh, rampant. And it's, you know, we got to figure that out. Now, I have a, a quick interlude question based on something you said <laughs> before I hit you with something heavy again. Okay. Um, wow. Really? All right. <laughs> <laughs> interlude question. What isn't black? That's a good. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yodeling. Absolutely not black. Listen, we created the shout out. However, the shout out is not a descendant of the yodel. The yodel is a thing unto self. <laughs> that is not black music. That is a, I don't even think it's a derivation, but that's the one. <laughs> that's the one I put yeah, on. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything. I mean, maybe there's some traditional, you know, things that we did, but probably not. We did call and response, but in yodeling, damn, you know what? Now, you, now I got to go look at yodeling, but I'm still putting my money yeah. on yodeling. Just yeah, for a joke. Yeah. We'll figure it. We'll figure it out later. We're, this is not about you're, you're in the ballpark. Right you're in the ballpark. Yeah. You know, there, and there's no response. Like that's it. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Just like yelling. That's the record. Right. So let everybody let you know. Off into the distance. I'm here. Right. Get that going. I'm here. That's it. Bouncing off the of different hills. We don't do that. It's like there's a there is a call and response because the lion is right there and he's about to chomp on something we, that we need. It goes into some of the tenements of whiteness. Mm -hmm. Thereby individualism, I am here. And we're like, yeah. collectivism, we're like, where y'all at? <laughs> there it is. There it is. Where y'all at? That's it. Wow, that's it. That was a great okay. question. I like that. What isn't black? That's right up there with what can you not purchase at a black barbershop? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite stumpers. What is it like, you know, when I'm amongst brothers, what's the, what is it you can't buy at a black barber and get a yodel there that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> so now i've been paying attention a lot of attention to revolution resistance being radical and we're in the time where in the nba they're striking how much or what would you give up to fight for liberation i think that's the big question that we all face how much of this life this world are we willing to give up liberation of who and for what and to where not for what but to where so if you'd have asked me this question 25 years ago when I was um, an under, or better than 25 years ago when I was an undergrad student at Morgan State, I would have said everything because I had nothing. It was just me. All I had was my life to lay on. I could do direct action and lay in the street. You know, I had nothing but time and energy. Now I got questions. What do we mean by liber? Like to where? Where are we getting liberated? I like the idea of liberation, general, abstract concept. I want us to get free. But I've had opportunity to watch what liberated people do. And it tends to reproduce the oppressive systems they just left. Huh. And are they liberated? Oh, they're liberated. They're free to do what they want to do. But what they wind up doing is because of muscle memory or whatever else, replicating what they just left okay. because they don't know. So they don't know what do based on the way they've been trained. So one of my challenges and concerns is, first of all, where to free people at? And can we go sit huh. and learn with and from them? And can we construct what liberation is going to look like, not from an emancipated slave narrative, not from any a emancipated Black person in America perspective, but from literally, I, we have been practicing emancipation since we were born, so we don't know anything. So that's a really hard one. What would I give up? I think it depends on how we define it. I think that over time, at least in my American context over these years, I've given up physical parts of myself. I've given up I've watched my dreams. I've had to park my dream. I've had to park my voice. I've had to go into a deeply patient space. So I've parked my spirit all in the name of this will get us to, this will get me and us to a liberated space or get us closer to what liberation we think feels like. So I'm, um, I got questioned this 25 years on. It's kind of, I, I wish I had the Dave Chappelle thing where I could say, this is what 20 year old Steve Vassar would say, or 22 year old would say versus here's what, you know, 
48 year old Steve says, no, we better have air conditioning. We better have a dentist nearby, a cardiologist and some other things because Steve is now older and he wants to hang on. He's got some stuff to share, but also he's got some stuff to learn. And if we're going to get free, it's there's got to be these trappings because for real, like that's part of where I am. Mm. That's a uh, really hard question to answer without sounding phony and fake, but that's sort of where I am in the moment. I appreciate that. Yeah. And before Seku asks you your next question, <laughs> I just wanna I just wanna say you know, Martin Luther King said, Until we are all free, no one is free. Hmm. That's why I asked you a question about are they free? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah, and who was the sister that said it? Was it Fannie Lou Hamer too? Uh, I think so. No one's free until we're all. Free. It's been said by so many people. Um, That's it's right. like there's a Jewish tradition about it. There's is it is deep because mm-hmm. all oppressed understand that it's a collective thing rather than an individual. Sure, sure. So uh, my parents are from Haiti, mm-hmm. right? Haiti is the first colony that managed to just whoop ass of two colonists. Two of them, not one, but two. Pushed one of them across the board and said, no, nah, y'all keep that. And then pushed the French out. Like, no, get out. Sir. And by 1804, had declared that we are free. And what they replicated over the next 200-something years has been the oppression that they fought against. Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind the first few years, because what's beautiful about Louverture was not only did he and his army manage to liberate Haiti with machetes and everything else, using guerrilla warfare against a well-organized French army. Like, let's be clear, ships, armadas, guns, gunpowder, all of that stuff. Not only organized. did they do that, but they then went after they won Haiti and secured Haiti, then went into South America and helped South America liberate itself. South American nations, I'm sorry, not South America, the mm-hmm. entire continent, but nation, right? Coffee from Haiti helped liberate Greece. I mean, like, this is how powerful this nation was. Sent battalions over into the south of the U.S. to fight on the wrong side of the war, but still sent battalions, little old Haiti, but still replicated as a free nation of black folk replicate almost to a T. And I'm talking about down to beating children, the way children are still replicating what the slave master and what the colonists had left. And that is as pure as you get from a black freedom perspective, from my perspective, emancipatory perspective. And we still manage as a people to replicate that stuff and pass it on like heritage. So I'm not just talking about recent stuff, right? Like I'm digging in the bag a little bit and saying this, this idea of liberation towards something means we got to actually talk to free people mm. to understand what freedom really looks like and then to understand what we got to lay down and life is a cost right like you got to lay you got to be willing to lay down your life but short of that there's other things we need to lay down which is probably going to be ego which is, you know all these other things we've got to lay down in order to get to freedom but Let's get a definition. Hmm, that's good. You reinforce what you know, right? And so to move towards something else, you have to know something different or do something differently. And with that said, I'm going to circle back to what Maxime was saying about the MBA. And I'm going to dig a little deeper there and I'm going to bring it back to you, Steve. I think personally, and kudos to them for doing the boycott, and they will be playing Saturday. <laughs> but that was a seismic move because the whole sports world follows. But just in terms, along the lines of doing something differently, I think it's a, also a watershed moment in the NBA this year from my perspective for two reasons. Zion Williams, the number one pick um, in the 2020 NBA draft, six foot seven, 280 pound dark skinned brother, got drafted, got up to the mic, 
with his father and he bust out in tears. I think that's a seismic shift. This brother had the permission somewhere to emote. And then Paul George said last night, two nights ago, because he went three nights and did not ball out at all. I mean, he couldn't hit the side of a barn. And he sat down at the table and he said, I underestimated uh, mental health. He said, I was feeling anxiety, fear, and all these different things. And what stuck out to me was he connected what he was feeling to his performance. And what we've been taught as black men is we have to perform and we don't. And I think because they have the influence they do, that many will, just like hip hop, the young people will think it's cool. And so, and, and that's why we do this show is because we want you to be in a space where you have permission to do that so that we can do something different. And I think part of that liberation piece, because Maxine talked about the collective, but for the individual part, which is part of it, I think freedom of expression without judgment is a move that we need to make as Black men in particular, as it relates to toxic masculinity and, and all of those things that are connected to it. And so I say that to say, in terms of how you're feeling right now, so what, what do you feel like you need to do and what kind of support do you feel like you need in this time of transition in many different, and how could we support you? So I wanna say to you that globally, we're in a very important space, which is that it has not ever been so popular for Black men to be vulnerable. Um, and it's important because, again, you know, grief abound, hurt, as they say, hurt people hurt people. That was Susan Taylor's saying, that hurt people hurt people. And certainly Black men, that hurt has played out in a number of ways throughout, particularly across these last 400 years and this much less throughout slavery and the America. So I think this is a, it is a watershed moment. See brothers hugging each other, you know, when Kobe Bryant, I mean, it's still 2020, right? Like Kobe Bryant, when his yeah. helicopter crashed and to see the CAI grab up the brother, you know, courtside and, and hug him and cry was an important moment. And thankfully through my work, at CDMA and through work prior to, I've been exposed to and I've been around brothers who actually have been clear about where their pains are and have been willing to share both their pains and the moments where things feel perilous, but also where they see prompt. I've been lucky to have. I think we've got to expand that. To answer your question in a roundabout way, I think one of the ways to be helpful is continue expanding these circles as you've been doing with the podcast. As, as you're doing in your work, say, Maxime, I wish, you know, we had met before this. You look just like my younger brother, by the way. So it's very hard. I was like, you just punked. I just got pranked, you know? Because <laughs> literally, you look like my younger brother. I'm going to pull up a picture of this dude so you can see. But the idea that, you know, say, cool your art, there was something you did in the room a few years ago that pushed our entire you push an entire a room, you know, at least 300 people in a direction they weren't thinking about. And all of those things allowed spirit to show up and take over. And so I think opening those circles and being willing to expand this idea of what vulnerability looks like, continue to reinforce it. I don't think mm -hmm. we're putting that genie back in the bottle as soon, and I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that we have commercials on TV and everywhere else that show like LeBron James getting therapy. You know, you have people who are open about saying, yeah, I'm seeking therapy. I'm, Joe Button is not, he was my favorite rapper when he first came out, different conversations, different mm -hmm. workshops. But 
<laughs> you know, but he actually was very clear that he, he had a challenge. And again, through reality TV, not the place where you want to work out your stuff. However, he did it, as did a number of other really hyper-masculine Black men. And so we've got to continue hammering home the idea that all is not well. It's okay to say all is not well. And to say that out loud, that, you know, one of the things I say to people, and, and one of the things I vowed when I left CBMA, is that whatever I do going forward, there will always be a big element to it. And there will always be a coalition or community building element to it. I'm fronting that. It's going to be centered now not going to be peripheral. You're going to get the DJ and get the guy that is here to help all in the package because that's who lives in here. I'm saying that in part because my mental health requires, like for me, I know I'm doing good because there's a soundtrack playing. What, no matter what I'm doing, there's, whether it's a beat or a song, there's always a soundtrack. I know when I've had a psychic break, I know when things are bad, when the soundtrack stops. When there's dead silence in my head, we are in a problem. We're in a space. And what I've got to do is get the help needed to get out of that space. And it's not as simple as going and turning something on and playing a record. It's not that simple. It is, I got to go talk it out. I got to go work it out. I got to go get help and say that out loud. It's interesting when I talk to my friends who happen to be DJs about, and they're like, wait a minute, the music stopped? Dead, dead ass silent. When I hear nothing, that for me is I've descended into a space and I need help to get out of that. So music is my medicine. And one day I'll put that on a t-shirt and wear it, but it's my medicine. I got to have it. And I want to be able to share my medicine with the world. And it's not my medicine as in I created it. It is my medicine in that it's what keeps me feeling free and hopeful. Even if the music doesn't feel so hopeful, it expresses what I can't, to your point earlier. Somebody's already said it, and they said it in a way that's way more profound than I could. And if I can find that record and play that record in, in some way that syncs up and it helps somebody, so be it, then medicine's been delivered. And so in terms of help, I think a few things. I'm in this space where we are focused on building out two communities. One is focused on DJs who are out here doing good. That's mixed for change. The other is Leading Wild. And we're getting ready to reconfigure Leading Wild so that we focus on young leaders, mainly because I want to sharpen the message and I want to get a little more crisp about the audience, but still deliver what needs to get through. And so we need help getting to those groups of people. That's primarily young people, 20 to 35, who are leaders in their work, meaning they could be a new supervisor, they could be a manager. You've got 16-year-olds. I was looking at some Department of Labor data, and there are actual 16-year-olds that are signed up as managers and supervisors. So whether they're a fast food or grocery store, whatever, they get tossed into this job with very little leadership support, which is really where it's at. Um, not just managing, counting how many packs of hot dog buns go on the shelf, but how do you encourage somebody to make sure that those shelves stay stocked and they look good and do it and not be a jerk about it, not be an overseer, not replicate oppressive system in so doing. So there are plenty of folks in my age range and younger who have that experience and are willing to share it. And that's what I want Leading Wild to be, the conduit for a new kind of leadership and frankly, mentoring 2.0. These kids graduate high school or graduate college, kind of take our hand, you know, we kind of like welcome to adulthood. Good luck with that. <laughs> Here's your name badge and your uniform. You're now a supervisor. You're now a leader. You're now a manager. Mm. And that's it. Yep. And that's not it. There's plenty more. And they're on a trajectory. So how do we help them 
How do we grease the skids so they don't make the mistakes we did as young? What's our trail of breadcrumbs? And for me, that's part of the legacy is leaving a library of these voices that are speaking to these other voices and continuing to replicate that so it ripples. And you often help with that in terms of pointing, you know, young people or pointing your audience towards ours or young people in your audience towards ours or helping us figure out how we sharpen our men. I already wrote that down to podcast part partner. We're we going to make <laughs> that happen. That. Really, really. I we'll make that. that happen and just share share our, our audience. Yep. I appreciate that. Yeah, you just, if I'm a young, you know, <laughs> see myself as yin young anymore. But <laughs> first thing, Fannie Lou Hamer did say it and probably first. So <laughs> as black okay. men, I believe it. Listen to black women. They That's were right. probably first. That's right. Right. Always. Always. Yeah. Always. always. <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a good idea. And then my question is, I'm actually upset that they're going back to basketball, even though I love watching basketball. Mm. Because I think they have a lot more power than they think they do. Yep. Mm. And I'll just say this shortly, like, and it's their capitalism that they want. They're like, I'm not willing to give this up. And they're talking about this platform. Their platform is there. Whether they, nobody can take that away from you. You have it. I think that goes into my question is in this life we're living, we're trying to survive and stay alive, but also come up out of it into a new world that's better or create something, the legacy for our descendants. And in this work, we have to commune with other people and listen to black women. <laughs> we have to unlearn these things. And also we have to imagine what liberation is. I want to give you an opportunity to imagine what is it like? What is this freedom, this liberation look like? Just a, a quick thoughts. It's not, we're going to hold you to this. Yeah, we might, no, a, little no, it's, we might a little bit. Might, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like actually you might. I think there might be accountability. Typically when people say, I won't hold you to it, it's kind of like the good cop, cat, bad cop. It's like, you know, listen, Eddie, you don't, just write it down. Don't worry about it. We, you're just taking notes so you can keep it. <laughs> well, this is going out so, there, so you'll remember right, it. Everybody will remember it. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. A community of accountability. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so when I think about what freedom looks like, it feels to me, when I imagine what it would be, it would feel to me like being in a space where I'm not worried physically, economically, spiritually about what's going to about my current or future circle. And I'm not worried about that wider than me for my family, for the community I belong to, for the nation part of, and for the globe. That for me is what it feels like. It means that we don't have worries and concerns that seem to plague us from day to day. Like, how am I going to make rent? How am I going to eat? The survival pieces and that we really are focused on thriving. We're focusing on, and by thriving, I mean, certainly the ones I love and myself, we get to live a long and healthy life and long and healthy lives, but we're also setting things up for the ones who are to come and that they don't have to worry. So when I was growing up, I used to love hearing people talk about Magic Johnson, you know, and his money because they were like, Magic Johnson's grandkids don't have to get a job if they don't, you know, and something about that felt liberatory. Now, the truth of it is a little different. Magic Johnson got to, you know, like he has to work. He has to stay relevant. You know, let's be clear. However, he's got a different level of access and mobility that I find intriguing. But there are folks who actually don't have much financially that experience a different level of access and mobility and if you will concern they're not worried right and i want to get i'd love to see us get us meaning the global this is good stuff brother i hope we were a part of your bridge your next phase in terms of asking questions thoughts help move forward is there anything you want to share with the audience in closing if you want to say more about your podcast whatever it is or a final word 
as it relates to the kind of legacy you want to any of that please i would prefer to leave with the thought because we can market another place we can we can market it different meaning that we can share some text that'll allow folks to go to the website and check out the podcast and the offering i want to want to thank the two of you this is probably one of the most difficult hours of conversation i've had in a long time <laughs> You brothers came with the one-two punch, <laughs> the pickaxe, the shovel, and a jackhammer. Um, you really called forward through your question some thoughts that I have been sort of mulling about in my head or sitting with, but you know haven't shared in this way in this moment. So I appreciate that. And also the call to candor. There was really no way to fluff my way through this conversation except to stop talking. So thank you for that. <laughs> Sometimes you got to stop. I, I would just, I think the thought is that I want folks to take away is really the next 20 years of their journey. Whenever I have a chance to talk to 25 to 27 year olds, I talk to them about the fact that I can still tell you what I was doing at 25, 26, and 27 years old, because it felt like it was yesterday, even though I have lived every inch of that time frame. Every centimeter, every breath of that time frame, it feels like it just happened. And I've lived a lot of life. I've been in and out of a marriage, remarried. My daughters by my first wife are now adult women navigating this world. And all of that is in the span of 20 years. So I just want folks to consider what their next 20 years are going to be like and then how we're going to get there. And I'm going to stop talking. No, There's so much more I want to say, but I'm going to stop uh, talking. Hey, brother. That's it. That's it. Well, actually, Max, I was going to introduce you to my brother and show you your <laughs> twin. Ah, uh, similar. You know, the interesting yeah, thing, I'm uh, also French Caribbean from wow. Dominica. My dad's from Dominica and my mom's uh. from Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, so my, we have a cousin who married who married a young man from from Dominica. From Dominica. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Never been, but yeah, y'all are all good looking people. I don't know Lo what happened. Lots of Haitian people there. <laughs> <laughs> my family actually they gave some of the land to some Haitian people that were like homeless. They were like, "Here, have this land. You can build a house on it. Whatever you." Need. Wow, <laughs> that's cool. That's how we do it down there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's beautiful. No, that's that's amazing. I was wondering, because a name like Maxine Paul, the only other man I know named Maxine is my cousin here in New York, who's yeah. only driven a, a BMW my entire life. That's all he's ever driven <laughs> is BMWs and um, yeah. super, super cool dude. But no, it's, it's dope, man. Yeah, yeah, so dope. Well, this is Let Me Introduce Myself, and we had the honor of sharing space with brother Steve Vassar, the DJ, the DJ channel. <laughs> Check him out and uh, his podcast, Leading Wild. And we are grateful for your presence, brother. Look forward to building more peace to you. Brother. Wait, I have one more random question. Yes, go for it. When you do your sets, do you play music you like or you adapt to the crowd? Hmm. A little bit of both, but primarily me. Because sometimes we got a couple of friends coming in from Costa Rica. Occasional folks will come in. Yeah, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're coming in from overseas. When I say overseas, like into Europe and that kind of thing. And so... I will play what I like occasionally. Recently, I've been doing requests, but I try to stay away from requests because you can get into some really treacherous terrain if you don't have the record they're looking for. And, and then I feel bad and I'm sweating and now I'm nervous and now my show is off. You know what I mean? But 
Yeah, it's primarily what I like. And typically what I'm coming to grips with is my ear is geared towards the Northeast, like the Mid-Atlantic up to New York and a little bit of Boston. So my folks down South, they're only going to get like the hits that were big in New York or in DC or Mm -hmm. in Philly. My folks out West, they're only going to get the biggie that was, you know, affiliated with (laughs) Cali, you know, and every once in a while they might hear something else. But yeah, primarily it's the records I'm familiar with. And then, and I'm starting to do thematic parties so that I can actually dig into a crate of records. As a, for instance, the big centers of black music in the U.S., Memphis, Philly, Detroit, New York, a little bit. Well, I stand corrected. New York, and then, of course, Cali. Those are five big centers. And uh, meaning that you could spend hours and hours of records from these cities because they generated so much. And it's easier to do a theme and then have folks from that city request a deep cut than it is to take requests like on the fly. So, mm-hmm. Listen, brothers, I appreciate y'all, man. Like this felt real comfortable and also just pulled a lot of insights out of me that I, you know, <laughs> I just haven't expressed. So thank you. That's so, all we gotta y'all do. are not playing with brothers. That's for sure. <laughs> Yep. Trying to keep it 100. Trying to keep it 100. I think the only thing you said that was controversial was probably the last statement because Atlanta would be so upset at you. No trap. Yeah. Give us some trap, bro. Maybe I should have qualified that by saying. (laughs) No, we don't need to qualify anything. You said history. Yeah. No, I said what I said, but I I was historically. But like, if you want to go recent, then yeah, Atlanta. Yeah. But but then now you got to start naming all the cities. Yeah, I know. This was dope. It was great talking to Steve. He's been through a journey and is learning how to evolve along the way. I think it's really important that he is looking to bring his full self, including the things that bring him joy, into his impactful work. And the point about realizing your job is not your identity is beautiful. We all need to remember that we are inherently valuable, unique human beings, with or without work. We sometimes need time to dissociate and define who we are outside of the systems we are part of. Take a lesson from the Haitian Revolution, and please don't replicate the oppressive systems that oppress you en route to your liberation. That thought right there brings up an important question. What are you, I, we all willing to give up in our current world in order to bring about the liberation from society's oppressive systems? Come back again for another episode of Let Me Introduce Myself.